We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? Sigh. Sigh. Another Nets loss. They're starting to pile up. They lost at home to OKC in overtime, 111-103. And this one hurt, Jack. It hurt. It feels like uh, getting stabbed in the back and stabbed <laughs> in the heart and stabbed in all the major arteries and organs. This game was there for the taking, Nick, and uh, a lot of it was on, on our, our best player, the guy who's kept us afloat of late, Spencer Dimwitty, who just couldn't execute in all crucial times. He made bad shot selection. He missed free throws. And our best player for the for the game was sitting on the bench. And he didn't look happy. And I think that he was Nets fans personified. Before we get into it any deeper, just a quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Jack, what went wrong down the stretch? You know, the Nets had a four-point lead late in that fourth quarter. You know, OKC was able to tie it. They didn't have an opportunity to shoot a free throw at the end. But how did they lose the lead, and they kind of weren't able to continue to score late in that game? Well, one of it is that Chris Paul is just a beast. And mm. you've got to give credit where credit is due. He's just hitting everything. And, you know, we've, you know, Corey and I, you know, debated quite a bit about him. And, and I think his scoring of late and his leadership, things on and off the court, he's just been an absolute monster. And, you know, he's killed the Nets in the past on the Houston. I know last season when I think James Harden was out, it was Chris Paul and, and Carmelo Anthony that were just absolute beasts against us. And, you know, he, he talked his talk and he backed it up. He's just an, an incredible player and despite the contract. But uh, I think that, we just couldn't execute offensively late, Nick. I thought that we looked okay, but we didn't look to make right plays. We just put the ball in Spencer's hand and sort of entrusted him to go, all right, let's make a play for us, Spence, like you've done for us you know, the past 30 games or so this season. But he just wasn't doing it all night. The first half, he didn't score. The second half, you know, he started driving the ball. Coach Kenny had, gave him a bit of a spray, and then he started to score the basketball by driving. He didn't hit a jumper. Like, he didn't hit a jumper tonight. So the fact that he continued to take jumpers, you know, mid-range jumpers, I'm like, dude, you're not CP3, and then take a 
three. Dude, you're not Kyrie Irving or Stephen Curry. It just it, it just was just a, a dumb game from Spencer and from a player that we you know associate with being really really smart, savvy, and making the good decisions. Yeah, it feels like every other game on this losing streak, you've been able to kind of depend on Spencer. Maybe the numbers weren't pretty, but he played essentially well. Tonight, you know, a lot of other guys stepped up, and Spencer, like you mentioned, had one of his worst games of the season. You know, that shot he took late in the fourth quarter, that pull-up three, I thought that really hurt the Nets and hurt the momentum, especially when Karis LeVert was cooking at that point. You maybe want to get the ball in his hands or take that shot later in the shot clock when nothing else has worked. But like you mentioned, decision-making was really bad, especially in that overtime. You probably have shot shot maybe 10 mid-range shots all season. I think he attempted three between the fourth quarter and overtime. It's just, why go to that game? He just did not look aggressive. It was almost like he was scared of Steven Adams in the paint. Yeah, and and a lot of the time, you know, the Steven Adams isn't necessarily an amazing rim protector. He's, you know, a, a large unit, an Aquaman. He <laughs> certainly has the physicality, and he's a sexy dude. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Steven Adams. But he's not that amazing of a defender. He is above average and very good. But he's not Rudy Gobert. He's not Joel Embiid. You know, he's probably on a similar level, maybe a little bit above what Jared Allen is. And Jared Allen, you're more scared of because you're going to get on the highlight reel with a lot of those blocks. And, you know, he had plenty of those tonight on, on both the offensive and defensive end. But, yeah, it, it just seemed to me that every single time in my head, I'm like, drive, Spence, drive. And I was yelling it out, you know, with my dad and my dog here. And he would just <laughs> settle. And it's just like... That's what we saw from in, in moments with Spencer last season. And we expected, you know, a bit of maturity, a bit of growth. You learn from those mistakes. But he just continued to take them. And it was just in, infuriating, absolutely infuriating. And obviously, Carol Savert not being out there in OT, we, we saw his face. We've all seen that image already. If you're some sort of a Nets fan, I'm sure you've seen it. I put it on my Twitter. Everyone else is, is sharing it like wildfire. Um, I don't know, man. This is one of the most frustrating losses that I can remember because if Spencer hit that free throw, the Nets win the game. Yeah, that free throw was big. Getting back to that, obviously, you know, last possession of the game, Dennis Shorter fouls Jared Allen before the Nets inbound the ball, so they get the one free throw and possession. Obviously, they didn't hit the shot, and they didn't hit the free throw either. Would you have went with Spencer Dinwiddie, or would you have went with Joe Harris or maybe even Karis LeVert? Look, statistically on the season, Spencer Dinwiddie is our best free throw shooter. He's about 81%. I know Joe Harris is a late 70s, I believe. I don't have it right in front of me right now. Karis Avert is, you know, is you know 70% if that. So you can rule out Karis Avert. Um, Jared Allen, obviously. But Joe Harris just seems to have been more poised of late. And I can understand why you would put it in his hands in this specific instance. But Spencer Dinwiddie is the leader of this team. And he is a guy that has hit free throws. You know, he is our best free throw shooter right now with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant out. So you put the ball in, in the guy who hits, who's supposed to be hitting those free throws. But at the end of the day, you live by it and you die by it. And we died by it and pretty badly. And, you know, maybe it was up to Spencer to go, look, I'm not feeling it tonight. I'm going to give this one to Joe. But he stepped up and he's expected to hit that. And he should have hit that. And you kind of mentioned being the leader of this team. He did not have great body language tonight, and it did not help the team late in overtime, especially when Karis LeVert wasn't out there. It felt like the momentum was down, and that's when you kind of need someone to step up and be aggressive, even though it's not your night. We've seen in the past, I'm not making comparison to players, but you know, I look back to last season uh, against Cleveland. D'Angelo Russell was having a terrible game, and one of those overtimes, he's, in the final overtime, he stepped up and got his team a W. You kind of wanted to see that from Spencer tonight, knowing Karis wasn't going to play in that OT. 
Do you think that spray from Kenny worked to an extent, but then sort of stuck with him? Uh, I'm, you know, I'm being, you know, body language doctor a, a little <laughs> bit here, Nick. But you know, Spencer has is rarely, you know, getting the, on the end of of a spray from from Kenny Atkinson. It's always, you know, you know, it's Musa or it's D'Angelo Russell from last season. But tonight it was Spencer, and we've rarely seen that. Yeah, I think they probably have more of that stuff happen behind the scenes, less on the court. But I think he was aggravated by uh, Spencer because on that specific play where he did spray him, that's a spot Spencer's always in. He had Steven Adams off balance, and instead of kind of attacking the rim, he decided to throw it out to Torian Prince, and Chris Paul was reading it all night. It's like Spencer did when he forgot who Chris Paul was. Both of his turnovers were passes against Chris Paul. So, like, yo, you need to understand who you're playing against, and obviously he just didn't have that aggressive. So I think – the spray maybe could have possibly helped. It helped for a little bit, but it didn't help in that second half or late in the game. I think Spencer just had bad body language overall. You know, these these people are humans. You know, everyone has an off day. It looked like he just wasn't feeling today in general, not just basketball. Like, today was not his day. Yeah, and I mean, everyone has those off days, Nick. We're entitled to them. But it's it's about having the awareness and going, this isn't my day, and and just trying to do the things that are, that are the simplest and lead to, you know, the highest results. And, you know, he did that for maybe a three- or four-minute period where he just drive and drive and drive, and he, he got to the basket and he got some foul calls. You know, there was a, a time earlier where against Stephen Adams and he sort of, you know, gave him a little bit of a shove and Chris Paul was like, look, just keep an eye on that. You could tell that the mentality was off like you were sort of saying, Nick. And I know Stephen Adams is a big burly dude and he can hurt you. I know Jimmy Butler in the past has said that his screens hurt more than anyone else in the league. But he's actually quite a friendly giant. He's a bit of a BFG. Like a, a lot of the times where, you know, he gets a basket, you know, he'll help Jared Allen up or Joe Harris. You know, he doesn't have that, you know, FU sort of mentality where he's, you know, incredibly aggressive uh, in terms of the way he plays. But, you know, Spencer was off tonight, Nick. And at the end of the day, we almost won the game despite our best player of, of the past 20 games or so playing one of his worst, if not his worst game of the season. Yeah, and I'll just touch on Steven Adams. Honestly, sometimes that makes it worse. When someone is like physically hurting you, but then they're being very nice to you, it almost aggravates you more. So I could see why, you know, guys get aggravated with Steven Adams because he's such a nice guy, but it doesn't make those screens hurt any less or when he hits you with an elbow accidentally or whatever it may be. So I think he could definitely frustrate guys. We've seen that a lot in the past, but Obviously, this is what happens when you bring back another fringe all-star player in Karis Avert. You know, you mentioned it, Jack. Spencer, you're not on his game, but you instantly could feel the energy Karis Avert brought to the second unit and to the Nets team in general. I, I know that you said it as well, Nick. I think every single person who watched this game, when Levert and Dimwitty are out there together, it's just like, oh, I, I felt a semblance of, of calm to an extent. I'm just like, okay, we have two capable ball handlers who can create their own shot. A guy like Carol Severt, funnily enough, can hit a pull-up you know, jumper. He has worked on that, and he has shown that in the past two performances, that he can do that. Spencer Dinwiddie's game is predicated on being aggressive and getting to the hole. Karras can do that too, but I think that Spencer is a little bit better at it than him. You know, it, Obviously, they are different players. But having both of them on the floor just made things flow better offensively. When you have two quality players that can create their own shot, it just makes things a lot easier. It opens things up. It opens up the lane. It opens up the perimeter. It allows Jared Allen to get some lobs and some open dunks and to you know nail some screens 
But and Coach Kenny, the fact that he went away from it is just like I mean, we're all we're going to hear the the, the the superlatives. It's like well, we you know we had to look at what our medical staff was saying, but it's just like sometimes you just got to win the game. And the Nets could have won this game if they had Karis Avert out there, and that's probably the most frustrating thing I know. I'm getting plenty of mentions about it. People throwing chairs and ripping <laughs> hair out. I've got a lot of hair, Nick. But by the end of this season, if this keeps happening, I'm going to be bald. Yeah, it's it's been rough. And uh, just to touch on Karis's uh, game first and playing with Spencer Dinwiddie out there, it allows Spencer to play point guard because, hey, on one end of the floor, they might be running an action for Joe Harris or getting the attention of the defense. Then he can hit Karis LeVert. He has an isolation, no one protecting the rim. We saw that instance in this game. So having two playmakers out there is really crucial. And I think it's crucial for this Nets offense. When they really performed at their highest peaks last year, it's when they had two playmakers out there, especially game one of the playoffs against the Sixers when they had three play- playmakers at some times. But, Jack, do you think Kenny should have went against the medical staff and played Karis a couple extra minutes, or do you think that's a relationship that maybe he needs to keep the trust in and say, hey, they said I can only play him 22 minutes. I'm only playing him 22 minutes. Look, at the end of the day, Nick, we can say what we want as fans. We want to have our best players out there when there is a chance to win. But we've seen this in the past as well, where guys have been rested. Guys haven't had the extended minutes. Karis Levert, we've said it a million times, had a thumb injury. Not a knee injury, not a leg injury. His conditioning was fine. He was the best player out there. 20 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 of 3 from 3, and 4 of 7 from the free throw line, 7 of 16 from the field. If you don't have your best player out on the floor, you don't want to win this game. And I'm, I'm, I'm implying and I'm inferring, but at the end of the day, this game, this whole league is judged on wins and losses. And if you lose this game, it has to be on you. And maybe he, maybe he should blame the medical staff. I would rather see that and go, look, the medical staff told me I couldn't do that. I'm like, all right, well, then I trust you that you wanted to have him out there. Or like you said, Nick, maybe he has to play the, the sort of party line where it's just like, look, at the end of the day, where we manage our players the way we want to, we spoke about it the other day when Karras was back and Jared Dudley said, you know, the fact that he rested the Orlando Magic game. But this was a winnable game to get off a six-game losing streak and you have your best player that is available and healthy sitting on the bench, it's it boggles belief. Yeah, I agree, Jack. I think in this instance, maybe if you don't play him the entire overtime, you put him in a three-minute mark, you want to get him some more rest, whatever it may be, I don't think there's a dramatic difference between 22 and 25 minutes. I don't think that's going to re-injure Karis Levert's thumb, considering I think he played 16 or 17 minutes in the first game. He had a day of rest. They're not playing again to Friday. I think it just hurt the overall vibe of the team. And Kenny talked about it in a couple you know, press conferences after the game or you know, interviews, whatever it may be, saying how Karis Levert provided energy. And he's kind of not like one of the direct leaders of this team, but he just knows how to play basketball and for, provides a spark for them. And you could feel Spencer having a bad night and Karis not out there in the overtime. The team didn't feel like they could win. Yeah, it's I, I don't I, I can't really say anymore, Nick, because it's just it's getting frustrating to to see just these little you know things that you know we know that the the wins are within grasp, and I think these wins are more frustrating than you know when there's the team is performing poorly because you know I think overall we could go through you know most of the guys. Toy and Prince performed well. Rodian Skouritz performed well. Jared Allen performed well. Joe Harris performed probably not great. Wilson Chandler, okay. DeAndre Jordan had a, you know, 10 boards. You know, he was back. You know, TLC, you know, was okay. And Garrett Temple, I thought, was much better in an ancillary role. So when you have, you know, eight, six, seven, eight of, of your 10 players playing well in the rotation, 
you expect to get a win because a lot of the time we haven't had our role players stepping up and we had our best player performing poorly. Yet at the half, the Nets still had a lead. So it's just there's so many things that when you are that close to a W and it's almost taken away from you from stupid decisions from coaching and your best players, that's what makes it tougher to swallow. Yeah, especially because if they have this performance against one of the other teams they faced, you know, a team like Minnesota or even against Orlando in the last matchup, that's a W. Tonight it was against a better team, an OKC team that's, you know, they lost last night against Philly, but they've been playing well. They've secured a playoff spot in the West as of now. So it would have been a nice win. And that losing streak gave you some positive momentum because like you mentioned, Jack, some guys who've been playing bad lately have really stepped up. Who do you want to talk about first, Torian Prince or Jared Allen? Let's get to Torian Prince then, because I think he sort of really kick-started his game. He was hitting those three balls, 5 of 10 from there. He continued to rebound the ball well. I thought, you know, he had a, a few defensive lapses, but, you know, he had, you know, he really stepped back up. And, you know, when that three ball is dropping, he just turns into an incredibly different player. And, you know, we were pretty savage on him in, the, in, in a few of the, <laughs> the recent buzzes, but it was warranted because he had been performing poorly. And, you know, 21 points, eight rebounds, you know, dropping a dime is still in a block there as well. It was a really good performance from Torian. And the fact that, you know, Joe Harris couldn't necessarily shoot well from three, it's always just like it's one or the other uh, a lot of the time if we can get both of those guys going boy oh boy two of the you know the most you know savvy you know capable three-point shooters i know toyin prince has to perform that way but you know we need both of them shooting well to to really see the fullest extent of this team but toyin really stepped up and, and really got the nets going in that first quarter when you know the offense lacked a little bit of flow at times yeah, it looks like when Torian Prince is having a good night, he looks so much more confident. And even his three-point stroke, I think, looks a little bit quicker. Like, he's ready to go and he's just launching it. And other times where he's having a bad night, he thinks about it. And then also, I saw tonight a couple times, he had successful drives where he didn't stop at, you know, the restriction line or he just laid in and used a glass. So that's a positive. Like you mentioned, Jack, I think defensively, there's still plenty of stuff to clean up. But it's a, a nice uh, game in the right direction. Yeah, it's a, it's a step forward and, you know, when we do a, a post-game podcast where we recap every single game pretty much, then we analyze each performance with its merit. And tonight was an incredibly good performance from Torian Prince. And, you know, I really liked Rodion's in the starting lineup as well. What did you think, Nick? Yeah, I liked Rodion's. I thought he provided a nice spark, pesky defender, and he's also very switchable. He had no issue defending guards at times, defending bigs. He gets in there, those offensive rebounds, poking his fingers in there. Then also, you know, Spencer hitting him on that cut for the oop. I liked Rodion's. I thought, again, you know, he probably should have got a couple more minutes out there. Garrett Temple played 28. Rodion's played 19. I don't think it's a big deal if Rodion's takes some of Garrett Temple's minutes because Rodion's is so versatile defensively. I've, and I, I've said this before, and I'll repeat it again for people who might have missed it. Rodons is improving his passing. And I think with that, his intelligence and his game awareness is just... For assist. For assist, exactly. And, and I think in that sense, the imagination, he's impacting the game in ways where obviously we know his energy and that oop was probably Spencer Dimley's best player of the night. But Rodions is continuing to cut... And, you know, I put the tweet out there, he's just incredibly crafty, he's incredibly sneaky. And, you know, I think he deserves to keep starting with this team because I think the balance is a little bit better. And I think, like you said, Nick, he's more athletic, he's switchable, he can get out in transition a little bit better than Garrett Temple. And the balance just works. Yeah, I think fundamentally, defensively, he still has things to learn as a team defender, but you can't ignore the fact that he just makes teams feel him. Like, you know Rodion's is out there if he's defending you because he's just going to make you work that extra inch that a lot of the Nets defenders don't force. 
Yeah, and I think in that sense, the imagination. I, I, I liked how he defended SGA a lot of the time. He was an incredibly capable player. And then, you know, he would, he would be, be forced onto some of the other sort of bigger wings, uh, more physical wings that OKC have as well. You know, it, it's just like, you know, this guy is... You know, we were sort of talking about early in the season, it's just like, where's Rody gone? Um, and we've now sort of seen him regain his confidence. Maybe, you know, it's a mental thing, but I think it certainly is a large thing, a mental thing. But for Coach Kenny to show the confidence in him and to put him in the starting lineup, and like we said, we, we, we said changes needed to be made, and this change did work. It's just a shame that so many other things um, were done wrong that were incredibly important as well. Yeah, I mean, especially just Spencer Dinwiddie having such a rough game in a game where we just need him to pretty much be mediocre in 70% of what he's been over the last month. But getting to Jared Allen, I was going to say before it went into overtime, this is probably one of Jared Allen's best games defensively. I just felt his impact all over the court. But he got isolated so many times on Chris Paul, and he kind of just abused him. I know Chris Paul's a great player, but I think Jared Allen was starting to give him just too much space because the height differential, for Chris Paul to even get a shot up, Jared Allen has to be giving him a good amount of room. And I think that's what Jared Allen can be guilty of sometimes when he is switched onto those guys. He is good when those guys try to drive on him. But when like they we take, saw at the end of the game where Chris Paul dribbled the ball off his leg. Exactly. When they drive on him and when they try to, you know, try to be forceful and try to, you know, dribble past him, he's incredibly savvy in that regard. But when he's defending those guys out on the perimeter and they take a jumper, he just always seems wary of giving away a foul. And he always gives him that little bit of that, that extra inch, that extra centimeter that allows him to get the shot off. And, and Chris Paul probably would have done that against every single player tonight. He was just switched on. But it certainly didn't hurt. But the dunks from Jared Allen tonight, dear Lord. I mean, Seko Demboya had a pretty insane dunk, but I lost it. I absolutely lost it at that insane alley-oop. And, you know, we've been preaching aggression from, from our boy Jared Allen, and he seemed to have that again tonight. And then there was some some blocks where it looked like he was going to break Terrence Ferguson's freaking wrist. The guy is just, uh, uh, when he is on, he impacts so much. Yeah, that was probably the best block of his career in terms of actual blocks. Like, yeah, we, he blocked big names, but he just destroyed that. And he knew he was going to destroy it. If you watch it, I think he pushes a Baisley before the play. He lines it up. He throws it back. And then also the dunks. I think we've been preaching about it. Hey, Jared Allen, you're super athletic and lanky. You can dunk over a lot of these guys. They might be stronger than you, but you can go over the top. And to see him finally do that felt good. And it's like, you can continue to do this game after game after game. And if you don't finish a dunk, you're probably going to go to the free throw line. Yeah, and, and and that sets the imagination. You know, the the box score doesn't light the world on fire, but 12.7 rebounds, two assists, and two absolutely insane blocks. You know, it was good to see, you know, the, the, the Jared Allen that we've loved. And, and, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to stuff the stat sheet. He just needs to have impact plays and impact the game. And, you know, our bigs haven't been impacting that well. You know, DeAndre tonight as well was frustrating at times, but he was rebounding the ball really well and seemed to be a little bit more switched on. You know, I, I get frustrated at him because it seems like to me that he wants to get more offensive boards than defensive boards. He seems to care more about that. Like, he doesn't jump at all on defensive boards, like I said in the last episode. But at the end of the day, he had an 8 and 10 and a steal as well. So, you know, he was impacting the game too. Our bigs, you know, who we've been savaging a little bit and, and probably ripping into quite a bit in, in this losing streak, were able to step up and at least make an impact. And that's all you want out of your big man. 
Yeah, he, uh, DeAndre played good enough for the Nets to win tonight. He wasn't outstanding, but he played a solid role off the bench. And like you mentioned, I think on the boards, you'd like to see him attack a little bit more. But at certain times, I felt like he wanted to get into Steven Adams and kind of match that physicality. It like got him going, which we haven't necessarily seen a lot from him. But DeAndre were to perform this way... You know, consistently, I wouldn't be that upset. Like you said, there was a couple plays that make you upset, but there was a couple plays that make you happy. I think he's still starting to develop, uh, trying to develop a chemistry with Karis LeVert. Yeah, and I thought Karis is doing nicely because he loves a little wraparound pass. And they're, they're really fun plays to watch. And he did it a million times to Jared Allen over his career so far. And he got one of those to, to DJ tonight as well. So it's about his positioning uh, in terms of DeAndre Jordan in the pick and roll and being able to be there because Karis is going to draw the attention. And the fact that he has been able to, and, and I mean, not to keep talking about your boy. I'm, I mean, no, I think you'll probably love it. I'll, I'll keep speaking about it. But he is impacting so quickly and it shows the level of confidence that we probably haven't seen from Karras in the past. And yes, he's got that contract now and he's, he's set up for a few years. But last year when he came back, he wasn't. He was actually quite poor and, and maybe it was the nature of the injury obviously certainly had an impact on that. But most guys in any form of the imagination when it comes back, you have to find those game reps. You, know, you can't simulate you know, game reps and obviously the Nets are, are pretty cautious and will like to give extra practices, extra contact, all those sort of things. But the, the confidence that Karras has, if he's not playing 30 minutes against the Hawks uh, and in, in some form of the imagination, if he isn't at least close to leading the team in minutes, maybe continuing him in this role, I don't care, but he needs to be getting more minutes at Garrett Temple. Yeah, you can just feel the impact. And, get, you know, I don't care. We'll talk about Karis LeVert the entire show. It's up to me. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, you really felt like, hey, Karis LeVert is, like, almost better than he was to start the season tonight. He just felt so confident out there, not only just creating for himself, but creating for others. Like, he just literally scored 20 points in his second game back. He hasn't played basketball in months. And, you know, a lot of the turnovers are still kind of chemistry things. You can kind of t see he's trying to get a feel for that second unit. You know, you have to remember, he never logged any minutes with TLC, never logged any minutes with Wilson Chandler, and his minute log with Garrett Temple and DeAndre Jordan is pretty limited too. So I think he'll continue to get better. And like you said, Jack, I don't think it matters if he's in this role, if he's starting whatever it is. He just needs to see a high octane in minutes because he just provides such an impact. And he also provides the Nets a real isolation score. Like Spencer can score in ISO, but like you mentioned, it's really just attacking the rim, especially when his pull-up three is not there. Karras can still attack and score not only at the rim, but he can score in that mid-range and score at the three-point line. So I think he's almost a he can score at all three levels where Spencer's more of a two-level scorer. Yeah, yeah, that's an incredibly savvy point, Nick. And the fact that Karras has that ability, it just it adds another dimension to the Nets offense. And, you know, we've struggled, you know, mightily on the offensive end. So, I mean, it's frustrating because we it's almost like a wasted performance from Karras Avert in, in, in ways. You know, when you have one of your guys step up, you know, it's like when LeBron had that insane 51-point performance, you know, in game one of the finals. Probably one of the best games we've ever seen a player play. Yeah, J.R. Smith throws it away with just his, his, his dumb <laughs> Yeah, I don't decision. think this game's as bad. <laughs> of course not. I mean, I get you get a little hyperbolic in the moment, and I think I'm certainly doing that. But at the end of the day, we are fans of this team, so we get way too emotionally invested in it. And, you know, the word fan comes from fanatic, and we're going to get fanatical about it sometimes. And I think I'm probably Especially the most... Especially on a losing streak. <laughs> Exactly. When you're when you're so close to, to getting that W and you're getting back and you're reestablishing yourself in that playoff race because, you know, Orlando, you know, are, are better than us right now and are overtaking us in the standings. And 
it's just it's just frustrating it's just so frustrating it is and i mean just even just torian prince if he has his game in like three of the six games or seven games on a losing streak the nets probably win one or two of those games it's just like having all these guys step up and then the one guy you've been able to count on having one of his worst games of the season spencer dinwiddie it just it's rough but i think there was still plenty of positives to take away from this game as you know bad of a sour of a feeling it's left you with i feel like this was one game you know not including overtime that i can enjoy as a nets fan there was just a lot of good play competitive play highlight plays and like you kind of mentioned we we're able to put out some actual good lineups where there weren't a ton of holes or the other team actually had to worry about more than one player yeah if we're looking at it as objectively as possible nick but we we're not because we're brooklyn nets fans <laughs> if we were a general nba podcast dissecting this game we would say, wow, that was a fun game. Chris Paul went off late. Kyle Savert was really good. A lot of dunks, a lot of blocks. It was really fun. But we are Brooklyn Nets fans. So it's hard to sort of look past it, especially, you know, 10 minutes after the game when we record these sort of pods. But I do agree. It was a, it was a really fun game to watch. You know, a, a lot of highlight plays. You know, the dunks were fun. You know, it, it was just an offensive masterpiece from, from, from the likes of Chris Paul, who is just an absolute stud. But at the end of the day, you know, it's when you are a, a specific team fan and you're doing a specific team pod and you're as invested as, as yourself and I are, Nick, the fact that the Nets were right there and, you know, they had it in their hands and it was just like they, they threw it. It wasn't taken from them. It was partly through Chris Paul's performance, but they had the win and it was really key mistakes from people we expect better from that lost us the game. And I've probably said some version of that a million times on this 20, 30 minute pod, but I got to keep reiterating it because it's what stuck, st stuck out tonight. I mean, they did lead the entire fourth quarter essentially until like that last minute or two. And that that's always, I think really deflating when you cannot hold the lead, especially OKC obviously has talented players, including Chris Paul, SGA, but Gallinari wasn't playing tonight. And a lot of other guys were missing shots. So the opportunity was there. So I understand Jack, like, and you're on the losing streak, you want to take this one. But um, anything else you want to dive into? What do you think was just a major issue for the team for the reason they didn't win this game, other than closing out? Like uh, a, a reoccurring theme through all four quarters. I think offensive ex execution, Nick. You know, I think that the Nets held the lead from about 60 when they were up 70 69 they, they took it back and then they held that for pretty much the entire game up until when chris paul just went off and maybe some defensive tweaks needed to be made there you know in terms of you know in terms of when they got the switch being a little bit smarter about it like we sort of spoke about with jared allen you know maybe you know being a bit more physical with chris paul maybe if you give away uh, a foul on one of them maybe that, that makes Chris Paul think a little bit in his head. I'm not saying to give away a foul because Chris Paul is probably one of the best free throw shooters in the history of the game, if not right now, at least. So I think that there was just minor things other than the big things that we've already spoken about. You know, there was just, it was just silly decision-making from, from Spencer Dimity at the end of the day. And I'm not necessarily putting it all on him, but it was Spencer and Kenny that lost us this game. Yeah, a lot of bad decision-making, I think, from Kenny with obviously not playing Karis LeVert late in the game. And then we've already harped on Spencer the entire show, just not having that aggressiveness attacking the rim. And I think in that situation, to kind of go after Kenny maybe just a touch, where it's like, hey, force the ball to uh, Chris Paul's hand. 
especially when he dominated you in the fourth quarter overtime. You want to get out of his hands. You know, let Steven Adams try to get it down low and foul him. Don't let him get a free throw. He was missing free throws left and right. I think you want to force the ball into somebody's hands that doesn't isn't necessarily going to score in that situation. I think, you know, out of Chris Paul, out of SGA, Dennis Schroeder I didn't think was great tonight. Try to force him to create things. I just think the Nets almost made it too easy for OKC to come back in this game late. Yeah, I think you're making a pretty salient point there, Nick. And I think that... Sometimes the Nets aren't smart enough to do that without sort of ex without you know coaching instruction. And I know Kyrie said that at the start of the season when you know Kenny's holding up the signs and all those little things. And you know Kyrie has been around this league long enough. He's one of the most savvy, intelligent basketballers that we've ever seen. So for a lot of these guys that are out there right now to make on court you know execution and changes. You know, sometimes requires someone stepping up, and um, I, we didn't have those guys tonight. But you know, we're, we're sort of nitpicking because at the end of the day, despite the eight-point loss, you know, to get, to score one basket in OT to go down ten-two, I mean, that's essentially how we've performed in fourth quarters of late, where we, I think we're minus forty-two over four games. And I know I put out in my National Public game um, game summary from the Orlando Magic game, we're the third worst scoring fourth quarter team in the league. Yeah, and that's obviously when you're missing one of the best fourth quarter scorers in the league in Kyrie Irving, and then probably one of your you know your second best ISO scorer in Karis Avert. That's going to happen. Hopefully, next time we're recording, Jack, we're talking about a win. But anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Uh, let's if we can bring this. Do you think same... the starting lineup will change for, for next game, or do you think it will roll with the one we saw tonight? I'm happy with it to stay the way it is, Nick. And and as long as you know we see you know Karis Avert in you know, late twenties and minutes. Um, I'm happy with that. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's going to be hard to get a win against the Heat who have been struggling of late. And, you know, Jimmy Butler seems to be a notorious Nets killer. That's going to be a tough one. But if we can bring the same semblance of play and ex execute a little bit better and have our best player play better and have our second best player actually play extra minutes when it really matters, then the Nets will win with the shot. Yeah, and maybe that second best and first best player thing will change after the next two games. But Ooh. that wraps it up for today. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.